Sports. Blog Talk Radio. It's time for the Hadit.com Radio Show. Hadit.com Radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, on this 19th day of February 2018. We're here with our co-host, Jay Basser. And today we have our guest speaker, John Dorley, on. It's always a breath of fresh air when we can get John to come on. Uh, John, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. We're trying to stay warm here in Minnesota. We're in the dog days of winter, hoping it gets over real quick. But, uh, you know, we're doing good. I'm just happy to be on the show to talk to you guys and, and try to help out any veterans that are listening out there. Well, that's good. We're proud to have you on. Uh, you had some uh, updates you were wanting to give us uh, on, on some different items, and uh, we sure are eager to hear about those. Yeah, yeah, we we can just dive right into it. You know, uh, uh, one of the one of the biggest things that's happened to the VA for quite some time, which which I think has a good chance to stick and have long lasting uh, positivity, for lack of a better term, is is a new program that our President Donald Trump rolled out with the assistance of the Department of Veterans Affairs and and national service organizations like the DAV, the VFW, the American Legion. Uh, last year, August of 2017, uh, the law was passed for the Rapid Appeals Modernization Program, which is a complete overhaul of the current uh, appeals process, the legacy appeals process that we're currently under, not only with the local VA regional offices, but with the Board of Veterans Appeals. And so uh, <clears throat> what they've started is is the initial process uh, was rolled out uh, uh, they're offering uh, claimants who have been waiting the longest with respect to the appeals to opt into this RAMP program. And again, RAMP is an acronym, uh, Rapid Appeals Modernization Program. It gives these individuals the opportunity to, to opt into this program and, and, and essentially get a decision much sooner than it normally would take with the current appeals process, which can take anywhere from two, three, four, five, sometimes more than six, seven years. So that's exciting. I think that overall it's a very complicated program. I know when the first letters started coming out January 1st to my clients, I had to read it over at least two or three times just to make sure I understood it correctly. But but I think that uh, certainly it's a step in, in the right way. It's progress, and hopefully it sticks because uh, I think it's got a good chance. My, my, my mm-hmm. thought really was uh, – when you've got the national service organizations backing it, I don't always agree with the national service organizations like the DAV, VFW, American Legion on how claims should be developed. But but for the most part, in my opinion, if they put their stamp of approval on it, the Department of Veterans Affairs agrees to it, I think it's worth worth looking at. So to, to date, uh, I've gotten about 12 of my clients that have received letters they seem to be rolling them out. The Department of Veterans Affairs is rolling these letters out the first of each month. So the first set came out January 1st. The second set came out February 1st, and, and I, I'm assuming the first of each month we'll get some more. So I've got I've got about a dozen of them. Um, I would just say to, to any veterans or claimants that are listening, if you get this letter, 
Uh, don't take it lightly. Read it really closely. If you have uh, a power of attorney like a national service officer or, or an attorney or an agent such as myself, make sure you get with that individual to, to make the most informed decision because it's not always the best route to opt into this RAMP program. So I think essentially just to just to kind of break it down a little bit so, so people kind of get a feel for what it's about, it allows the claimant the opportunity to have possibly get their decision, their appeal, uh, resolved within 125 days of the date that they opt into this ramp uh, appeal process. Um, essentially, what you're doing is, is you're leaving what they call the legacy appeals process and, and opting into this new program. Uh, you're asked to select two types of uh, avenues on this ramp program. One is called a supplemental avenue, for lack of a better term. Uh, it basically states that you have submitted new material evidence since the appeal and or you have additional uh, new material evidence that you will be submitting within the next 30 days and and, and you select that supplemental program and, and uh, the goal is for the VA to decide this claim, this appeal within 125 days. Or the other avenue is, is what they call the higher level review, which is uh, a higher individual within the Department of Veterans Affairs, oftentimes a DRO or, or, or some other DRO that has not uh, looked at the claim before. And a DRO is a decision review officer. We call them DROs or DROs. Basically what you're saying is that I have no other information to submit. Uh, I think the appeal stands on its own and therefore I want a brand new higher level review to look at it. So you have that option. That, that's the good part. The bad part, which, which a lot of people have a lot of concern about, I've read different articles, I've, I've, I've looked at attorneys' websites and a lot of them are nervous about the fact that uh, in some cases the VA does eliminate uh, the due process rights that you have under the Veterans Claims Assistance Act of November 2000. If you select the higher level review, uh, you are effectively giving up your due process, which uh, is not always a good thing. Um, the other thing is that if you exhaust your, your ramp appeals process uh, and your next step is the Board of Veterans Appeals, and that's important to know, you still have the right to go to the Board of Veterans Appeals. But your case would not be heard until the earliest of February 2019. So that's another negative in, in opting into the ramp appeals process. Um, it gets complicated. I, I'm sure people that are listening to this is, is, have a lot of questions already. I think the main thing is, is, is what I'm saying is, is when you get a letter like this, uh, Try to remember what I said, but the main thing is to talk to your uh, accredited power of attorney so that you guys can make the most informed decision on, on how to approach it. I've got about 12 of them. i got about seven uh, letters for my clients, the 1st of January, about another six, the uh, 1st of February, and, and it's a mixture. I think each case is different. I would say about uh, four or five of them we did opt into the ramp appeals process and it was a combination of selecting the supplemental lane or the higher review lane and the other five or six we decided not to go up ramp at all. It, it just really depends upon the specifics of the case. 
John, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, let me give our phone number out so uh, people can call in. Uh, if you have any questions or comments for John here, uh, uh, our call-in number is 347-237-4819. Now, this call-in number, once again, is 347-237-4819. Now, if you have a question or comment about this, because this is important information here, and... Uh, you really need to be up to speed on it because uh, uh, you could be in a position to utilize it to your benefit. So uh, don't hesitate. Give us a call, and and we'll try to get you taken care of here. Go ahead, John. Yeah, I, I, I uh, concur with that, Gerald. I think doing this as long as I have, 25, 26 years, this is one of the more interesting pieces of legislation that have come out. Um, and I think it's definitely something that could foster into a, a positive thing within the Department of Veterans Affairs and, and veterans who, who have appeals pending overall. Um, I think since I started in this vocation in 1992, there's been a number of programs that have tried to uh, duplicate this type of thing. Uh, but I haven't quite seen something like this before where it has the backing of all the national service officers, as I mentioned earlier, also has the backing of, of the United States government and the Department of Veterans Affairs. So um, I'm, I'm a lot more positive about it. Um, I have been looking at uh, different blogs, uh, different uh, attorney websites that, that specifically practice with VA disability compensation claims. Um, a lot of them are staying away from this ramp. And, and I think they're specifically stating on their website they're advising their clients to stay away from it. I don't know why. I have a suspicion as to why, um, but but that's probably here nor there. I, I think it's certainly a, a program that if, if if an attorney or agent discuss with their client and make an informed decision, it could pay off big because of the fact that a lot of these appeals uh, – depending upon the regional office that it's at, they're taking years and years and years to decide. Um, if you can get a decision within 125 days and you have, you have your ducks in a row, you have your case together, you have your evidence together, the new material evidence you put together is, is sufficient. Um, for myself, I roll the dice. I, I think it's worth trying. The only thing you're really giving up is, is as I mentioned before, from what I've, can tell the only thing you're really giving up is is some due process um, which which if you've developed your claim properly as a power of attorney uh, you can get around that due process you, you you're really going to be able to submit evidence at a later date anyway um, the only negative really is that if you do exhaust your appeals through the ramp program and you do go to the Board of Veterans Appeals you are going to be waiting at least until February 2019 to be heard I don't think that's too much of a disincentive as well, simply because of the fact BVA appeals are out that far anyway. So I guess I'm looking at the glass is half full with this ramp program. Um, I don't think our, our national service officers would have backed it or put the framework together, put their, their stamp of approval on it if it, if it wasn't beneficial. So I'm excited about it. 
Um, hopefully it takes off, and of course, as the program goes, there's going to be a lot of uh, bugs and things you're going to have to weave through, and I'm prepared to do that, but uh, um, no, I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. So we'll see how it goes. It, it's a very, like I said, it's a very complicated program, uh, especially for people who haven't uh, uh, practiced in, in, in the legalities of the Department of Veterans Affairs. Uh, it, like I said, even for myself, when, when I was studying this RAMP program and and the letter started coming out, I literally re- read that letter at least three or four times just to make sure I had understood it correctly. So it, it's not the easiest read simply because the fact it's so important, the decision you make. Um, so, again, not to sound like a broken record, but if you're if you're a claimant out there and you receive any letters from the VA that talks about uh, the RAMP program, Rapid Appeals Modernization Program is what it's called, don't do it on your own. Get an advocate. Get a power of attorney. Get someone to help you with that. It, it's that important. Well, it's something we want to stay on top of and and see how it progresses and be able to keep every you know keep the veterans updated on on uh, how it progresses. Uh, you know, it it could turn out to be uh, a very useful tool. And at the same time, uh, there could be some pitfalls in it we need to be aware of. So, you know, it, it bears keeping an eye on, and and let's hope it turns out for the best, because uh, uh, my mm-hmm. lands, uh, we do need some breaks out there, and this, this might be something that will generate them. Well, one of the things, Gerald, to keep in mind, and especially if, if, if anyone's listening out there that currently has an appeal pending, uh, just so you know that if you have an appeal pending and it's already been docketed at the Board of Veterans Appeals, docketed basically means assigned a number uh, to be heard in the order that it's received. Um, so if, if your appeal has been docketed at the Board of Veterans Appeals, uh, at this point in time you're not, you're not eligible to opt into the RAM program. Uh, eventually, the hope is that you will be, but right now they're initially starting with people, uh, claimants that do not have their appeals docketed at the Board of Veterans' Appeals. So, but at any rate, uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm always a, I'm always open to these types of initiatives, especially when you've got the National Service officers that are, that are, uh, they help put it together. Uh, they put their stamp of approval on it. The Department of Veterans Affairs is 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 is, is up for it too. So we'll see how it all plays out. I, I think certainly when you've got the Department of Veterans Affairs commitment to try to adjudicate these claims within 125 days, we all take that with a grain of salt. I'm I'm not naive. Um, I, I certainly think that uh, um, that's the goal. But as we know with the VA, the goals aren't always met. But uh, even if it's 250 days or, or 300 days, that's a heck of a lot shorter than some of these VA regional offices where uh, you're waiting three, four, sometimes five years for, for an original appeal to be adjudicated. Absolutely. And yeah. many, many times that's the case, too. Uh, so uh, I could see a, a major benefit right there. Right, right. So, so I think the goal, that w- when all of this is implemented and, and fully running, 
is to is to try to alleviate the uh, uh, the enormous time frame on all appeals, whether they're brand new appeals or whether they're appeals that have been docketed to the Board of Veterans' Appeals, and I, and I suspect that'll transgress to the Court of Veterans' Appeals someday as well. So that's the plan. Um, I'm going to let the VA run with it, and and you know, we'll try to juke and dodge the different pitfalls that come along the way, but I think they're on the right course with this one. Well, that's a good deal. Let's hope it does work. And, uh, but I think I think when these decisions are made, Gerald, I think when, <laughs> when these ramp decisions are starting to be made, I haven't gotten any decisions based on the ramp yet. It's too early. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how these play out, uh, what the options are going to be, if in fact they're denied or if they're approved but not rated as high as we'd like it. Uh, from what I can tell, if you select the avenue, the supplemental avenue, and it and it gets denied, you can still opt to the higher level review and vice versa. Uh-huh. So you've got some options under this ramp program before you're forced to say, well, my only option is the Board of Veterans Appeals, which won't be heard until February 2019. That's only a year away. I don't see that really, like I said, as a disincentive, simply based on the fact that you probably would have been waiting that long with the Board of Veterans Appeals <laughs> anyway. At least. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, at least. Uh and depending on what regional office you're in, of course. But, uh, yeah, uh, uh, you're going to have an answer. Uh, you're going to know something a lot sooner, in other words. And you're going to know whether it's uh, going to be beneficial or not if you start getting a, a lot more headache out of a claim uh, than you normally would through a the regular procedure, which uh, it's hard to hard to say how you're going to do that, but I guess it's possible. And, and you know, Gerald, one of the other variables to take into account, and you, you tapped on this a little bit, is is that every VA regional office, and I suppose there's about 60 VA regional office, offices throughout the United States, but every VA regional office, as far as their appeals workload varies. So, when you're living in a regional office like St. Petersburg or Houston or 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 other VA regional offices that are probably more overloaded than anyone else, that might be even more of an incentive to maybe roll the dice with this RAMP program as compared to some other regional offices that maybe they're only out a year from the date you file a notice of disagreement. So it, not, it might not be worth opting into that RAMP program uh, because you, you may be getting a decision sooner than later under the uh, the appeals legacy program. So in that case, it might be better just to stand pat with, with where you're at. Uh, but uh, I know something's got to be done with the uh, the appeals process throughout the country. I've always, and I've mentioned this on other shows, uh, to the VA's credit, uh, they implemented about a year ago a national work queue, it's called an NWQ, which, which it allows... Uh, uh, the, the workload of, of non-appeals to be evenly distributed throughout the country. So if you've got one regional office that's working original claims and they're about a year and a half out, you've got another regional office that's turning them around in three months or so, uh, they spread the wealth. So the, I've always advocated for that. I, I think that's a good thing. 
so you're not penalized by the geographical area you're in. What the VA has not done yet, which they plan to, which hopefully is sooner than later, is to apply the same type of program with appeals. Um, right now, you're, you're pretty much penalized if you have an appeal and you happen to live in a regional office area where they're, they're a lot farther out than others, which is unfair. I think, I think depending upon where you live in the country, it shouldn't be a penalty. So if you're living in Houston and you're waiting, for, you're waiting four to five years for original appeal to be adjudicated, yet someone that's living in, I don't know, St. Louis or something like that, and they're turning appeals around in a year or two, uh, it, it just doesn't seem fair to me. So I hope that the VA is listening and that they do proceed with implementing a national work queue, not only on original claims, what they're currently doing, but also on appeals as well. Well, let's hope so, because it seems like a lot of the major issues here come along with the appeals process, because my land, it, it just seems like it's in such a shambles. It is, and and I think to, to, to President's Trump, uh, President Trump credit and, and Secretary Shulkin's credit, um, they're trying to address it, and and they're addressing it through this ramp program. So um, it, it, it's going to be a, a while before they fix the bugs, I think. But I think when this thing is up and running and well-oiled and greased, I, I think it'll be a good program. So we'll see. I mean, the VA has tried similar programs in the past, but it hasn't quite had this type of uh, motivation and, and stamps of approval on major organizations before. So we'll see how it all shakes out. Of course, I haven't gotten any decisions back on this uh, ramp program yet. So, you know, talk to me in about three or four months. I might uh, have a different tune. I don't know. But uh, I'll try not to judge ramp on one or two decisions. Uh, we'll have to get, you know, seven, eight, ten, twelve decisions out before I can make a judgment on it. We'll, we'll see how it all shakes out. But uh, everyone's saying the right things right now, but uh, we'll see what happens. And, and if it's junk, we'll it'll fall by the wayside like every other program the VA has tried to do to fix it. But this one seems a little bit different to me. Well, let's hope it works out for the best. Uh, yeah, at least they're trying something new. I'm glad to see that. Maybe it hasn't been proven up yet, but uh, I would say within six months, uh, we're going to have a general idea, wouldn't you think? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would expect uh, some of these decisions to start popping really quick. And, and and the clients that I've opted into the RAMP program, these are clients that have actually called them and said, you got this letter, this is what it means, read it over, let's both read it over together. And, and these are the options, these are the positives, these are the negatives. Uh, I tell them what I would do. Uh, ultimately, it's going to be their decision. Uh, the ones that have opted into it, um, they're excited about it because without this RAMP program, they'd be waiting a lot longer. So we'll see what happens. We'll go from there. Well, let's hope something good comes up. But anyway. But, yeah, I so. think if anyone's, listen, if anyone's listening out there, and I, and I know that we've got a lot of listeners because they call me and they talk to me about their claims and, 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 and things like that. So if they're listening and they want to call in and ask some questions about it, I'm more than happy to talk about that. Um, you know, Gerald, one of the other things we talked about I think it's important is 
is uh, uh, there's a court opinion that, that's come to the forefront, which is 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 really getting a lot of uh, attention. Um, uh-huh. It's it's called Mitchell v. Shinseki, and and essentially yeah. what it is is it talks about flare-ups. And when I talk about flare-ups, I'm talking about musculoskeletal conditions with respect to compensation exams. So uh, under Mitchell v. Shinseki, basically when a veteran reports to a compensation exam, and it happens to be an exam where they may not be having uh, the typical uh, pain, flare-ups, residuals of flare-ups that they normally would, but it can be medically ascertained that they do, the doctor can say that this is the type of medical disability that does flare up and it does create repercussions because of the flare-ups. That's a 20% rating that they would be granting on that. Now, typically, uh, when a veteran presents for a service-connected disability and there's objective evidence of pain uh, based on uh, repetitive movement, something to that effect, but without flare-ups, they rate 10% on their program called DeLuca v. Brown. It basically means that uh, you're entitled to a 10% disability if there's objective evidence of pain involving a joint. But this Mitchell v. Shinseki expounds on that. So if you not only have observable pain at a compensation exam, but it's a type of disability that flares up with residuals, uh, increased poor range of motion, uh, any other uh, residual degeneration, the law does specify you should rate that disability, that joint, whether it's a knee, hip, back, shoulder, uh, at least 20%. Even if the range of motion uh, doesn't typically represent a 20% rating, uh, you would still get the 20% rating under Mitchell v. Shinseki. So that, that's something that uh, uh, a lot of advocates are implementing. Uh, and it's something that all veterans should be aware of that when they go to those compensation exams, you need to make sure you tell these doctors if it's the case that you do have a type of roller coaster effect with this disability. Uh, uh-huh. one, day it, one day it might be painful, uh, but you're able to get through the day, but then another day it's extremely painful and you can barely get out of bed or something to that effect. That, that's really the description of a flare-up that, that veterans need to make sure they make clear to these doctors. And what I'm finding, Gerald, is that they are doing that, and when I review these compensation exams, there is evidence of flare-ups, not only reported by the veteran, but medically ascertained by the doctor, but you're still getting these adjudicators at the VA regional office not uh, abiding by uh, Mitchell v. Shinseki. They may quote that in the rating decision. We've, we've looked at the auspices of Mitchell v. Shinseki and DeLuca, and DeLuca versus Brown, uh, but we're still going to rate you 10% or 0% or whatever it is. Well, they they say they did, but they really didn't because the compensation exam really tells the truth. So uh, any veteran out there that, that feels like they're that in that situation. That would be a Q, Q claim, wouldn't it? Uh, it would or be just if you were past- a, a notice of disagreement. I mean, you know. Yeah, if you're past the appeal deadline, then you would file the Q. Clear and unmistakable error. Yep. If you're still within the appeal time frame, you'd file the NOD. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, 
Yeah, that opens the door for that. And and I like the way that they actually uh, interpreted the thing. A guy'd have to go out of his road to misinterpret it and say, "Look, you're not entitled twenty percent. You're only getting ten. That's mm-hmm. the way I interpret it. And I like the way they they kind of worded that to where that's awful hard to do. If uh, you know, unless you just go out of your road to do it that way. And, and what's also interesting, Daryl, is before this law really came to the forefront with the VA, uh, veterans were only getting that 10% rating based yes. on the law that I talked about before, DeLuca v. Brown versus Brown, uh, which which allows uh, a 10% rating based on objective evidence of pain based on uh, an excessive fatigability test. They rapidly manipulate your, your joint in succession for three to four times. Uh, where in reality, they probably would have been eligible for 20% under Mitchell. So if if you've got veterans out there, veterans are listening, and you're only rated 10% for a particular joint, uh, uh-huh. ankle, knee, wrist, elbow, shoulder, for example, low back, uh, you may want to consider reopening that claim for a higher rating, 10% at least, or excuse me, 20% at least. Yeah, I agree. Uh, because, you know, if it's in both legs, wouldn't that be 20% for each leg? Yep. yep. Each joint requires uh, 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 their own separate evaluation. Of course, okay. when you have yeah. paired extremities, then you figure in the bilateral factor, which, which is another interesting uh, little thing that the VA does. You get an increased percentage rating based on paired extremities, an arm and a leg, or a leg and a leg, and an arm and arm, and wrist and a wrist. So uh, you get a little bit of an extra bump under what's called the bilateral factor. I won't go into all the specifics on that, probably for another day, but you can always Google VA bilateral factor. It talks a little bit about that aspect of it as well. Well, I think that's a good thing because... uh I know you're aware so many veterans are getting 10%, probably right now, getting 10% when they should be getting 20 and uh, or more. Maybe 20 is the maximum, but uh, I don't know. I wouldn't think so. Uh, but uh, there's... I'm sure a large group of them that need to re, you know, go over their service connections and, and see just just how they are service connected. And uh, if you have some of these low ratings, uh, certainly take it up with the VA and 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 get them corrected. I think that. Uh what I read under Mitchell, the highest is 20%, but um, it, it really can matter, um, especially when you have veterans with a number of combined ratings. That extra bump from 10 to 20 could mean the difference of uh, hundreds of dollars per month. It could also mean the difference of qualifying for uh, total disability individual unemployability scheduler. And, yes. And that, that's a different topic. Again, it, it, it gets complicated, but I won't go into all the specifics of 
TDIU scheduler and non-scheduler, but the point being is that the stronger you can build your base, even if it's small as bumping you from 10 to 20 on a particular joint, or maybe from 0 to 20 on a particular joint, that very well would increase your overall combined. It would increase your compensation. It may even make you 100% permanent total, or it may make you uh, eligible for uh, total disability individual unemployability if you're not working, uh, or, or at the very least, it's going to make your case a lot stronger when they look at a particular joint that's rated 20% instead of 0% or 10%. So um, I keep harping on it because it's that important. Uh, Mitchell yeah. V. Shinseki, called Mitchell V. Shinseki. You can Google it. It'll tell you a lot about it. I'd be one to certainly look up because we know we have a lot of veterans out here, uh, especially your your paratroopers. Uh, you know, have a lot of knee and ankle damage and hip damages uh, that showed up shows up you know later in life. Uh, uh, that can make a big difference to their claim. I've been winning claims, Gerald. Uh, for, for individuals such as paratroopers who don't have any evidence in their service medical records at all of any type of musculoskeletal issues, ankle, knees, hips, feet, low back, uh, but we're still winning these claims uh, based on reasonable doubt. The law is pretty specific. You cannot deny a claim simply based on the fact that the service medical records are void of a specific disability. If based on the veteran's own account, possibly backed up with testimonials and post-active duty medical records, there's sufficient evidence to justify a compensation exam. The VA is obligated to conduct that compensation exam under the Veterans Claims Assistance Act of November 2000. And then you get in front of a doctor, compensation examiner, who's sympathetic to what you're saying. I've seen a doctor go to bat for these veterans. So basically yeah. what you got is a veteran getting service-connected for a disability when there isn't a shred of evidence in their service medical records, um, especially for paratroopers or, or uh, OIF, OEF veterans who are humping around 80, 90, 100-pound rocks, battle rattle, they call it, uh, and, and they're wondering why these guys are coming out with cervical degeneration, uh, lumbar sacral, uh, shoulders, hips, knees, uh, well, the reasonable doubt is a lot higher with these types of veterans, maybe as compared to, for example, a postal clerk or not to demean that MOS. I mean, that's just as important as anything else, but but, but they, they probably weren't, you know, carrying that kind of weaponry uh, as, as, for instance, a postal clerk or, or, or someone like that. So the reasonable doubt level is a lot higher for for those veterans. So I, I think I would encourage any veterans who, who are contemplating filing those types of disability claims but have decided not to because they never complained about it on active duty, uh, you can still win those claims. And, and a good advocate uh, will, will get those through for you. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the, you know, the fact that you jumped out of airplanes tells someone something. When you hit that ground, I don't know what speed they're traveling, but uh, uh, that's a pretty hefty jolt. And 
And, you know, jump after jump is going to take its toll sooner or later. Uh, your body's only designed to take so much. And then, uh, and same way with uh, carrying them backpacks full of rocks and all the weight they can put in them. Uh, that seems counterproductive to me, but I don't know. Well, Maybe to a certain point. I think uh, sometimes they just go overboard. And, and these individuals, they don't complain. Uh, you know, they don't no, run they off do. to sick call. They, they don't run off to sick call or 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 sick bay or, or or register their complaints simply based on the fact that they have a mission they have to perform, and 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 that's what they do. Um, the other things I've heard is, is is they don't complain because it could affect rank could affect their career. Uh, yes, it does. It also is a situation where they want to set the example for service members under them, too. So so these individuals are truly suffering, uh, but, uh, but they don't run off to sick call to get it recorded based on those facts of, of, of what we talked about. Yeah, but 30 years down the road, they tell the tale. Uh, oh, wait a minute. We have to... Uh, uh, pay some bills here, uh, uh, John. We uh, we need to take a commercial break here. Okay. Would it be oh, great John. to be pain free? You know, to feel like you used to feel. Biowave is a life-changing, non-opioid effective way to block chronic or acute pain. It's designed to block pain at the push of a button with patented smarter pain blocking technology. Unlike outdated pain relief devices and treatments, BioWave blocks pain at the source. Proven effective and in use by more than 30 VAs, active military, SEAL teams, and most NFL, NBA, and MLB teams. Visit BioWave.com to read testimonials from veterans and active military. BioWave, VA recognized, VA prescribed. FDA cleared and made in America. If you're a veteran or active military or know someone that needs safe, non-opioid, and effective help managing pain, please go to BioWave.com and learn how to get treatment at no cost. Experience BioWave. Block the pain and get back in the game. BioWave.com, smarter pain blocking technology. And with more on BioWave, here's Gerald Cook. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, be sure to go to their link that's very informational. It's www.ballwave.com forward slash customers. Uh, please go there to that link, and uh, they do have a couple more links there. And uh, they're all uh, very informational, so you certainly want to check them out and uh, uh you know, if you have pain, uh, let let's get get this looked into. It's www.bowwave.com forward slash testimonials, and uh, also the link www.bowwave.com forward slash va. So check those links out and. Uh, uh, read up on this. If it's something there you feel like you could utilize, uh, give them a shout. They're good people. 
and we'll get back with uh, uh, John Dorley here and uh, my little thunderstorm I got going outdoors. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, John, uh, I'm glad to hear that they've they've changed that on, especially on your joints and stuff, because. Uh, you know, they can really affect a, a veteran later in life. And uh, as we all know, you get older and where you've been boogered up before, it really shows up. So, Well, and, and I think it's like a domino effect, Gerald. Certainly when, when you, as you get older, uh, certainly these things are going to start creeping up on you and, and, and the disabilities advance a lot faster than they normally would have if not for military service. And so oftentimes when you get musculoskeletal conditions, tendons, joints, muscles that start breaking down, it also starts to affect the nerves. You start getting neuropathy and radiculopathy. Those opathies are nerve degeneration. Those are all rateable separate disabilities as well. So if, if, if you're a veteran out there and you're service-connected or rated for a musculoskeletal condition that previously did not take into account nerve degeneration, you want to make sure you get reevaluated because you can be rated separate for nerve degeneration. And as these things take on a domino effect, uh, it starts uh, affecting uh, your mental health, too. I get veterans rated for depression, generalized anxiety disorder, those types of things, secondary caused or aggravated by your service-connected disabilities. So uh, there's more to meet the eye with these disability claims, especially when you're talking about your joints and your tendons and your muscles and the musculoskeletal conditions. It's a domino effect that can start affecting other parts of your body, can start uh, affecting your psyche as well. What about kind of severe scoliosis, John. Uh, is mm-hmm. is there some kind of rating for that? My understanding is, is scoliosis is congenital. It's oh, something okay. that, that typically develops uh, as, a, as a newborn or a child as you're growing up. Uh, I just remember I come from a, a smaller school, city schools and smaller schools both, but I always remembered uh, we always had to go in to see a doctor and bend over and touch our toes to check for scoliosis. So uh, they they used to check that quite a bit, um, and I think they still do. But the point being is that uh, the, the way the VA looks at that oftentimes is scoliosis is something that, that you had before you entered active duty. Now, the way we, we get that service connected, though, is, is to show that the active duty uh, – Beyond natural progression is the term here. So if you can show that the the rigors of active duty caused your scoliosis condition that may have preexisted military, caused it to be aggravated beyond natural progression, you can get service connected based on that too. So, but it's 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 pretty tricky with scoliosis in the VA. That they always automatically want to try to deny a claim based on preexisting or congenital defect. Oftentimes, they don't look at the fact that this particular scoliosis, if the veteran did, even did have scoliosis, is aggravated beyond natural progression on active duty. 
Well, I know when I went in the service, they had everybody stripped down, bend over, and they'd look you all over. Uh, mm-hmm. If you'd had uh, any meaningful scoliosis, wouldn't they have pulled you out of the line up then? It, it depends upon, and again, I'm shooting from the hip here. I, I, I don't remember all the parameters of of what allowed you on active duty and what didn't, but I think all, a lot of it depends upon the level of scoliosis you have. There's different levels, and certainly a, a doctor that's more informed than I would would be able to comment on that, but uh, if, if it's a mild curvature, uh, especially in times of war, uh, yeah. you're in. I mean, you're in. The draft, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Vietnam, mm-hmm. they're taking everybody. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, but 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 now during the times of period when the military gets a lot more uh, particular, especially if it's a liability issue, uh, uh-huh. you know, y- you could be drummed out right at the uh, entrance physical. Like they used to do with flat feet. Scoliosis has got a lot to do with uh, spinal cord injuries and things of that that nature. And uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of veterans that have spinal cord injuries or in their diaphragm, one of their diaphragms is paralyzed. Then what happens is the diaphragm muscle doesn't work, and what happens is they actually catch it on the X-ray. And what happens, the shoulder raises and stays high. And what that does is because you're offset and your body's not, you know, your body's not symmetrical. You know, you know, you're looking at a body part that's up, you know, up to three or four inches taller than the other one. That causes scoliosis, and that could be a secondary issue. Absolutely. So, so what what you're yeah, saying, so John, is that you may not have had scoliosis, or if you did have scoliosis right. going in the military, it got a lot worse in the military because of us. Yeah. Uh, uh, maybe a spinal injury or some sort of back injury on mm-hmm. active duty. So, yeah, certainly an, a, a scoliosis was aggravated due to a military service injury. If you have a spinal cord injury, regardless of the cause of it, you know, I mean, you know, you, you have some severe, you know, where people are paralyzed. You know, there's also mm-hmm. spinal cord injuries that are not, you know, that are not as severe, but still a spinal cord injury, and something's, you know, something's going to be affected by it. So. You know, they have to look, put it all together. But, I mean, it, you know, anybody's got to claim that. Yeah, they can win, but it's going to take a, you know, you got to have some good medical evidence and a good nexus to win it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think a good advocate will be able to get over that hurdle of any adjudicator that tries to say pre-existing, especially when there's evidence mm-hmm. of trauma on active duty. Um, I have I have seen yeah. adjudicators try to get around that, and we appeal it. And we almost always win that type of thing. Yep. <laughs> yep. I've seen some of those letters too. <laughs> okay. Sounds like it's yeah, it sounds like you have. <laughs> so but uh you know guys, I, I you know, we hit on that ramp pretty hard and, and again if there if there's any veterans out there that are listening that, that want to call in they can and you talked about you know, Mitchell, V Shinseki, DeLuca V Brown. I think those are all important issues as well. Um I think that uh, you know one of the things we could talk about certainly is 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 the state of affairs with the VA regional offices throughout the country. Um, I, I still think there are a number of VA regional offices that they do their best with the people they have. Uh, they try to work these claims as best they can, and 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 I know that sounds uh, contradictory to a lot of opinions by veterans, but I feel comfortable that that's going on, especially in the regional office that I live in in St. Paul. If you have an advocate that that 
is well-versed and knowledgeable and can talk to people and can talk to the VA and talk to decision review officers and coaches and adjudicators and, 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 and come at them in a way that's respectful but adamant, you're going you're gonna to get a lot more done. Um, unfortunately, there are at least two or three regional offices that, that have a lot of work to do, and, and uh, you can bang your head bloody against the wall and you're not going to get a whole lot of help. So for those regional offices, uh, uh, typically I think most advocates have to take into account going to the Secretary of the Department of Veterans Affairs or the Undersecretary uh, when it's needed. I mean, you don't want to burn your bridge and, and run to them every single time. But uh, if you're an advocate out there or you're a veteran that doesn't have an advocate and you're not getting the, the help you need, uh, my opinion is is the stop would be the Undersecretary of the Department of Veterans Affairs. And also the Trump hotline, which actually taps into the Undersecretary of the Department of Veterans Affairs, from what I can tell. Um, that That's your best avenue. Um, from my perspective, just my opinion, I don't see a lot of assistance with congressmen and politicians and, and senators. I, I really don't. I, I think they, they put an inquiry in, and it's never the senator or congressman that, that does it. It's one of their underlings. Uh, they put an inquiry in, and, and the congressional liaison at the VA regional office pretty much sends back a form letter uh, to say this is where we're at, this is how long it's taking, have a good day. And uh, I stopped using politicians a long time ago, to be honest with you, when it comes to uh, when it comes to pushing claims along. Now, others might have a different opinion on that, and I respect that. But for my take, uh, I get a lot more success with the Undersecretary of the Department of Veterans Affairs and, and the Secretary of the Department of Veterans Affairs, Mr. Shelton. I'd have to agree with you on that, John, because... Mm-hmm. Uh, I've not gotten any any decent response out of any of my senators or congressmen. Uh, like you say, the information you get back from them is usually a form letter. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's... And your claim is just right where it was. Maybe it went from wherever it was back down to the bottom of the pile. Who knows? And, and Gerald, with the Secretary of the Department of Veterans Affairs and the Undersecretary, the people that are manning those phone lines, they have a very strong working knowledge of the Department of Veterans Affairs. They speak that language. Um, and, and my experience has been with senators and congressmen and their aides. They don't speak that language. They would know a decision review officer from uh, rating specialist or RVSR, to be honest. I, yeah. I don't think they have that type of knowledge, whereas uh, I've talked to aides with the uh, secretary's office. They're sharp. Not only are they, sh- are they sharp, they speak the language, and, and, and they get things done. And, and if, 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 there's, if there's one set of people that gets the VA's attention, uh, is the secretary of the VA. I mean, they hop, and that gets their attention really quick. Well, that's good. At least you got some kind of recourse if need be. Right. It's and it's if, better than nothing. <laughs> and of course, for you veterans out there, or claimants out there that that have appeals pending or 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 any claims pending, uh, you can always ask for an expedite of your claim. There's 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 three standard ways at the VA regional offices where they expedite claims: threat of homelessness, 
So if you've got an eviction notice or a foreclosure notice, that should be all you need. You'll go right to the front of the line for adjudication. There's no guarantee you'll win it. Every case is different, but that's one way to do it. The other one is terminal illness, and, and uh, they've expounded that a little bit. I, you know, it used to be where unless you had a doctor that says you have X number of days or months to live, the day wouldn't expedite it. I've been getting around that a little bit. Uh, if, if a veteran's in very, very poor health, where, where a demise is imminent uh, within a year, uh, they usually will expedite that claim. And, of course, age at the regional offices, it's a little bit tough. You have to be 90 years of age or older at the regional offices uh, to have a claim expedited, uh, as opposed to the Board of Veterans' Appeals, where uh, the same rules come into play, the, the homelessness part and, and the uh, terminal illness, but you only have to be 75 years of age or older for a Board of Veterans Appeals claim to be expedited on the docket. So um, just kind of keep that in mind. There are options to try to get claims expedited, but unfortunately, if you don't fall into any of that, you're, you're waiting in line just, just like everyone else. Well, only thing we can do is try to keep these claims moving forward till you win. And right. uh, stay on top of it, stay up to date, do research. Uh, all, everyone with a claim in the system needs to be doing research and, and uh, keeping up to date with veterans' affairs. Uh, too many times people sit back and Start moaning and groaning. Uh, you got to stay up to date on what's going on with veteran affairs because there are some new things coming along, and sometimes people do try them, and they work. And uh, let's hope this new thing will work, especially with the appeals process. My lands that's 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 one section of of the claims process that needs some help. Right, right. I, uh, and I think you've heard this term before. You can be your own best advocate and, you know, do your research and, and you know, rely on your power of attorney, but, but be your own advocate too. I've got my clients. Um, they advocate for themselves as well, and, and they'll call me up and they'll bounce things off on me, and, and, and we'll talk about different things. And uh, uh, sometimes they'll bring something up that I wasn't aware of. And I'll research it, and and it, you know, it, it's a team effort. Oftentimes, so yes, it's got to be a team can, effort. The laws change so often; you can never be a hundred percent up on everything. So, so if you're a veteran out there and you've got an attorney, or if you've got an appeals agent such as myself, or a national service officer, and you're doing your your due diligence and investigation, and you come across something that you don't recall that you talked about with your advocate, call your advocate and bring it up and say, hey, what about this? Um, and, you know, it, dialogue is important between uh, an advocate and a power of attorney uh, and, and the veteran themselves. So, so I, yeah, I wholeheartedly concur with that. Yes. Uh, you know, it, it's just something you have to do, and you might as well bite the bullet and do it, um, get, get more involved in your claim. Um, 
John, we're we're getting close to running out of time here. You want to give your contact information so uh, people can contact you? Absolutely. Um, you can reach me in a couple different ways. My email address is benefitsagent at comcast dot net. That's benefits b e n e f i t s agent a g e n t at comcast dot net. Or you can call me directly at 651-303-3062. That's 651 Minnesota area code, 303-3062. Oftentimes I'm on the phone, so make sure you leave a voicemail and your phone number, and I will call you back right away. Yeah, that's good. Um Do you think that President Trump's going to get the VA fully funded? I know he's been mentioning that several times, and I sure have my fingers crossed that he'll be able to. Do you believe that's in the cards? <clears throat> you know, I, I, I think that the Department of Veterans Affairs, the VA Medical Center, um, whether they'll ever be fully funded by by whose definition I think really is the key. Is it by the definition of the Department of Veterans Affairs, uh, political advocates, national service officers, the directors of the VA Medical Center? I, I think everyone has a different opinion on what's fully funded and, and what's not fully funded. Um, I know in the day, and it's come a long ways, uh, the VA Medical Center in Minneapolis, I mean, there were operating rooms that were empty. There were beds that were empty. Uh, and there were plenty of veterans that wanted to get in, uh, but uh, the funding wasn't there. Uh, my understanding, with at least with the Minneapolis VA Medical Center, is it, it's pretty full. And, and they're being funded uh, a lot better than they used to. Um, could they be funded more? Yeah, I think, I think money is, is always important to, to increase the level and quality of care for, for our nation's veterans. I know one of the biggest things is outsourcing, and I know that... Uh, uh, a lot of organizations have been against that. Uh, they want to keep it all within the VA Medical Center. Um, and I understand that, but there's also uh, a proponent to give the veteran the option that if he or she does want to go outside the VA Medical Center on a contract through the VA Medical Center and they can get in sooner and see the doctor they want to see, why not? Of course, it's not a VA doctor, but, but that's really up to the veteran really, to make their own choice on that. So uh, I, I think President Trump and, and Secretary Shulkin have been looking really closely at that. Uh, recently, they extended that option for outsourcing. Uh, and so on the choice, choice pro- program? Yeah, the choice program. So yeah. um, the VA Medical Center wants to treat all their veterans with timely. In, in, in those cases where they, they cannot do that, they do offer the choice program on a contractual basis to go outside the VA medical center. So mm-hmm. fully funded. Um, I don't think everyone's going to be happy, but but I think it's gotten a lot better, Gerald. It's moving here recently. It seems to be moving in the right direction. I'm right. like you. I don't know that it's going to become a reality to actually become fully funded, but uh, 
let's hope that they do. Uh, you know, the BA is able to acquire enough funds to keep going and keep taking care of veterans because we, uh, you know, it's a mighty large organization. Yeah. In my land, yeah. we're out of time. Hey, John, <laughs> <laughs> we done shut off. I'm sorry. Oh, are we off? <laughs> yeah, we're off now. This thing don't give me much warning. Yeah. Okay. But <laughs> I think we're off there. Uh, and when my my gizmo says we're off there, I don't know. Maybe we're still there. But uh, well, I'll tell you what. If we're off or on, it doesn't matter. I do appreciate you guys having me on, and feel free to call me anytime. Okay, we will, and we really appreciate you coming on, and and that's some good information you give us here tonight. So, but let's hope everybody uh, takes advantage of it. All right. Good night, guys. Good night. Well, we. We got nothing in the books, buddy. Nothing in the books. Good one, too, I think. That was some good information. Yeah. Well, I hope our ad did okay. I think so. I don't know. Don't care. (laughs) Right now. I shouldn't have said that. That's all right. But anyway, been a day. I'd sure like to know what happens to this podcast while we're not looking. <laughs> it's it's turning into something there. Pretty interesting. Yeah, we'll there, it out. there should be we'll a record. John should be a record who who's logged into it and who ain't uh, to make mm-hmm. changes. Uh, ain't there a log somewhere? Who has access to that? I'll that search and bird? Yeah, I'll search and find it. I'd show everybody that's touched it. Yep. It's going to be a headache. They must be the one tinkering with my computer. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a cat. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cat. Cat screwing my mouth. <laughs> we still locked it up in the bathroom. I don't know what is in there. Up now. <laughs> yeah. Took you a Facebook message and you get off. I sent you some stuff. Okay. <laughs> I hope one of them, some of it is Tom <laughs> I don't want to get fired. This thing pays for it. <laughs> we said, what we're going to do with this cat? <laughs> Only two things help that cat. That's a veterinarian and a big tom cat. <laughs> or a big tom cat. <laughs> I take her to the veterinarian and I wouldn't. Oh, God, i got to wait till she's out of heat. How did she just come out of heat? Yeah, they do that this time of year, man. 
They'll come yeah. in. If they don't have any contact, they'll come back back in. Oh, boy, she did. It ain't been a week and a half, two weeks. I got to get her to come do that. Call. I take her to Dr. Snipping Clip. <laughs> I'll put her in a box under the you. Now, she'd like to RCA Victor Dog for a while, but cold runner here. <laughs> oh, hell. All right, ooh, uh, let's shut this down. Okay, I'll talk to you. I'll let you for a while, buddy. Longer. Okay. All right. Bye. Yeah, take a message. All right, see you, bud. Okay, bye.